the Bible Study Podcast, episode 118. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of Luke with Luke chapter 9. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. As you saw last week, we covered the confession of Peter, that Jesus was the Christ, the transfiguration, and we'll continue on with the story of what happens just after that. Starting in verse 46 of Luke chapter 9, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. It's sad that right after Peter, James, and John go up and see Jesus transfigured, they come down and there is an argument among the disciples who's the greatest. Now, those two might be related. It might be that those three, feeling very close to Jesus and knowing something the others didn't know, started the argument. We don't really know. It's interesting, though, to note, just towards the believability of the Bible, that the people who wrote it talk about where they screw up. We have in the Transfiguration Peter saying, let's build tents, because he didn't know what he was saying. And we have here the disciples saying, and then we argue about who was greatest among us. And those who are writing down the story didn't write themselves the best part. If you compare that to other histories of the time, pull out a copy of Josephus, who is a contemporary of the disciples and a Jewish historian, probably the best-known Jewish historian of that or any age, and look at how he talks about himself. He talks about himself as the greatest of all the generals and very well thought, and he is writing himself a better part, probably better than he deserves. But that is very typical of the time. Reporting at that time is typically not unbiased not even an attempt to be unbiased, and it was written as part of PR. And it's written with a specific agenda in terms of trying to raise one station quite often. So just think about that as you read through the Bible and read what the disciples say about themselves. Because remember, they're the ones who are relaying these stories to Luke. Matthew himself writes his, Mark is mostly Peter's story, and John writes his own gospel. Anyway, back to this story. Jesus says, whoever welcomes a little child in my name welcomes me. Because he is looking for them to have a different goal within the church as the church gets started here. Whoever is least among you will be the greatest. He'll emphasize this also in the Last Supper when he wraps a towel around himself and serves them by washing their feet. There's an emphasis here of don't be like those other people who are out for what they can get for themselves, who are looking for authority and power because it will give them position. That's not what we're about here. John says, we saw somebody who wasn't one of us, but who was driving out demons in your name. And Jesus says, if he's not against you, he's for you. Now, elsewhere, Jesus says, whoever isn't for us is against us. Now, both of those things can be true, but they sound a little bit contradictory, at least in terms of emphasis. But the emphasis here is you're not as special as you think you are. And Luke 9 goes on, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven... 
Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Again, James and John, I think they started that argument about who is the greatest. I think they're a little full of themselves right now. And they're honest about that. As they're recounting these stories later on, it's pretty clear that they don't get what Jesus was about. They will later, but they don't yet. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me, but the man replied, First let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. These sections, these verses on the cost of following Jesus, would have to be lumped into the hard teachings of Jesus. And they sound very harsh. The first one a little less so, because someone says, I'll follow you wherever you go, and Jesus doesn't say no, he just says, just so you know, this is not some place that's going to leave you to palaces. In fact, we just read that Jesus is heading to Jerusalem to die. He knows the cost of being a disciple, but this person apparently doesn't. So he says, just so you know, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man had no place to lie his head. The implication being that the man, when he heard that, changed his mind. We don't know. And then Jesus says to somebody else, follow me, who says, what seems a very reasonable request, let me go bury my father. Now, the thing we don't know, and scholars have debated this for years, is, is his father dead? There's some indication, or at least conjecture, that this man's father may not be dead yet. And so he's saying, the time isn't right yet. Jesus is clear that some things take precedence. In what other case, whether the father is still alive or whether the father just died, he's saying that proclaiming the kingdom of God is the highest priority, especially when you're asked by the Son of God to do it. We should be mindful of that when we think about our priorities because we tend to put a lot of other things as a higher priority, the things that we have to get done, all that busy stuff that we do. Our job, even, over our calling seems like a very normal thing to do. But Jesus is saying at this point that the kingdom of God, talking about the kingdom of God, proclaiming the kingdom of God, is the highest priority. And then the other one, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. Again, it seems like a very reasonable thing. And Jesus uses an interesting analogy, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back. Now, if you're not a farmer, just picture this. We would say someone who is trying to drive a tractor down the rows and is looking back over his shoulder. Well, that's obviously not going to be a good farmer. You're not going to be able to plow a straight row if you're looking back. And what he is indicating, he's using this opportunity to indicate, is that if we're following Jesus, we need to keep our head in the game. We need to be looking to where Jesus is leading, not looking back at what is behind us, not thinking about what we've left. 
And then continuing on with the next chapter with Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him in every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for this town. Woe to you, Chorazan, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. In just the last chapter, Jesus sent out the twelve and gave them the power to perform miracles, to heal people. And now he is doing this with the 72, with a group of others, including the twelve, who he is sending out ahead of him. And he is telling them to go with some haste. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Don't greet anybody on the road. I think is because, remember, Jesus is already heading to Jerusalem towards Good Friday to die. And the time is short. The time of his earthly ministry is winding down. And he's tried to tell the disciples that already. But And then he's giving the very specific thing. Greet people with peace. If they welcome you, basically you stay with them. And if not, you go on. If the town welcomes you, stay, heal, teach. If they don't, wipe even the dust off your feet. This is a wonderful opportunity, a wonderful moment for these towns. And they're either going to accept Jesus, receive him, receive those who he is sending, or they won't. And this is an important time that won't be repeated in the same way. The time is really running short here, and Jesus is not making a return trip here. This is the time for them to receive him. And there is, in all of our lives, a time that is right, and a time that is too late. And this, for these people, is the time that is right. And it is a wonderful opportunity that he's providing. One of the reasons I think he sends out 72 is to spread far and wide, as far as is possible, this opportunity, this chance, this time. But then there is this woe to you section here. And what he's talking about is the towns of Capernaum, for instance, Chorazin, Bethsaida, places where he has performed miracles, places where he has taught and healed and driven out demons. And he's saying, if what we did in you, if what I did in you was done in Tyre and Sidon, Tyre and Sidon are Phoenician towns on the coastline, non-Jewish towns, they would have repented. They would have put on sackcloth and ashes and they would have changed their ways. But you didn't. It'll be better for Sodom 
than for the towns that reject Jesus. It will be better for Tyre and Sidon on the judgment day. Again, there's a time that is right and a time that is too late. And then the 72 returned. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So the 72 come back, and they're overjoyed with the success that they have, with the power that they've been given. And Jesus says, don't, you know, don't worry too much about the power. Rejoice that you're accepted by God. Rejoice that your name is in the book. And he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw evil defeated. And then he says this prayer here that wraps it up and basically tells them that they are blessed because they have a chance to see at this very special time what others have not had and have wanted and have longed for. With that, we'll bring this episode of the Bible Study Podcast to a close. Next week, we'll look at the story, The Parable of the Good Samaritan. If you have any questions, feel free to leave a comment at thebiblestudypodcast.com or drop me an email at host at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening. God's Word will change our life, but sometimes it's hard to know where to start. Well, that's where I come in. I'm Jody Nisnik, host of So Much More, Creating Space for God, a scripture meditation podcast. And each week, I guide you through a scripture, giving you space to listen to the Spirit and pray about what's on your heart. Then we have a thoughtful conversation with guests to help us go deeper. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.